All right, we're continuing our study in Judges, looking at the life of Gideon. We picked up Gideon last week in Judges chapter 6. We're going to continue throughout Judges 6 today into chapter 7. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, what we're looking at today with Gideon is to the Spirit-filled life. He's empowered by God the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at uh, our need as Christians for the power of the Spirit. Additionally, what that looks like. Uh, hopefully, by God's grace, we can demystify some of that. Uh, and that it's the, We're going to look at Gideon, and, and it really, his, his life, I think, in many ways, exemplifies what a, uh, the Christian life looks like. Uh, it looks like struggle. It looks like uh, wrestling through the truths of God's word, fighting to uh, uh, be assured of who God is and what he has called us to do so that we can be empowered by his spirit for his mission. Holy Spirit it works in and through all that. That's what we're going to see. Uh, but with in Judges chapter 6, that is the first thing. Uh, we're starting in verse 33. We're going to look at uh, the spirit empowerment. That's what we're going to look at. First thing is the Holy Spirit empowerment uh, in the life of Gideon. And so now, as verse 33, now... All the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. What this is, is uh, these, the, we saw these three groups last week. We saw uh, the Midianites, the Malachites, and those, these a bunch of people from the east. Uh, what they've been doing to God's people is they've been encamping and then devouring them. The, their land, their produce, their livestock, everything. They've just been devouring God's people. So they're set to, again, to devour God's people unless something changes. And last week we saw God has called Gideon to the task of defending God's people and delivering them from the hand of, of Midian. And so uh, in verse 34 it then says, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. This is awesome. So the difference between every other time, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people from the east encamped to devour God's people, their land, their produce, their, their livestock. Every other time, there was no one filled with God, the Holy Spirit, to stand against the, 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 the tyrannical rulers of that time. Verse 34, God now clothes Gideon with his spirit. And he, being Gideon, with the, with the sound, uh, sounded the trumpet. And the Abizarites, this is the parts of God's people, the, the families, the clans, they, they, they called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, again, through the people of God. And they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Nephtali, and they went out to meet him. So in the beginning here, I want us to see, as we see the God, the Holy Spirit, empower Gideon, these two big things, these two big things that matter the most in, this, in, this, in the beginning of the story is that it is God who, quote, clothed Gideon by the power of his spirit, and number two, he acted. Two things we see that are they're working in tandem, that God clothes him with his spirit, is what it says. The spirit of the Lord clothed, covered Gideon, and then it moved him to action. These two things are tied together. The New Testament ties these things together. Spirit-filled living and action. We see Jesus died in the place for our sins. In the New Testament, he raises from the dead victoriously. He tells his disciples, wait for me. He has already given them the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, wait for me. And, and, and he says, he promises the one who's coming after me, God the Holy Spirit, is going to empower you and make you bold to proclaim the gospel. And what happens, and this is exactly what happens in the New Testament. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's given his people the mission, and he tells them to wait for God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter stands up. He preaches a sermon. 3,000 people get saved in one message. Like, this is awesome. But God's people, what we're seeing here is always these two things are in tandem. Uh, the, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and action of God's people. And so we need God the Holy Spirit to empower us as his people. We need the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And so here in the context of, of, of Judges, there's been seven years, seven years of oppression by Midian. What has changed? The Spirit has now empowered Gideon. That's what changed. God the Holy Spirit showed up. What happens in, 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 in Acts? The Spirit shows up. What happens in any revival, in any renewal, any reformation, in any point in history? God the Holy Spirit shows up and changes the trajectory. And this is exactly what we see with Gideon. See, we don't need just uh, ideological arguments, apologetics, uh, uh, intellect. I'm not against those things, but we need more than that. We actually need what uh, Paul tells the, the, the church in Corinth. We need a demonstration of of the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I didn't come to preach to you with eloquent words or speech. He's not against, he's not against intellect. 
He's not against teaching. He's really good at those things. But he said, I came to you knowing Christ and Christ crucified in demonstration of the power of the Spirit. And Paul tells the Corinthians. See, what's happened, what happens here is, is, is an unlocked boldness, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's power. This is what we see here in, with Gideon, and we see in Acts, we see throughout the New Testament, is that when God, the Holy Spirit, flies in tandem with the will of God and the Word of God, when we submit ourselves to the Word of God and to the will of God, the Holy Spirit is present and powerful. He blesses His Word. He doesn't bless just anything. He blesses His Word. He empowers God's Word. And so what we see here is that is, is the truth of the, the New Testament that we, Gideon didn't get the spirit of fear. He got the, he got the spirit of a sound mind, self-control, power from the word of God, by the, by the spirit of God. Additionally, in the New Testament, we also see a man named Peter who went from denying the Lord Jesus, scared out of his mind to be associated with Jesus, then preaching bold sermons, looking at the people who crucified him, telling him, you're the one who did it. You crucified Jesus. And like, they, won't, they, they want to kill him. What happened between the Peter who was afraid to be associated with Jesus when he was being crucified to the man who later not only preaches boldly, but later is crucified upside down? What happened? What's the difference? God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit shows up and empowers uh, Peter, his ministry. Jesus, his ministry. Uh, uh, Gideon, and what we see here, his ministry. And so... Uh, and this is what it means when it says that he, when he was clothed with the Spirit, uh, Gideon was changed. He's a changed man. He went from being timid and scared. Not that he's not going to battle with timidity. We're going to see that here today. But he, he, he's a changed man. He's a new man. We saw last week in verse 14 that he has already been authorized to act. God has already said, hey, go do this. He's already been authorized to act in verse 14. And now here in verse 34, he's being empowered to act. There's a, you see this correlation in the New Testament, again, with Jesus and his disciples. There's this commissioning of the disciples, the authority to act in the Great Commission, and an empowering to act with the, the sending of the Holy Spirit in Acts, chapter 2. What, what, what I'm saying is we need both. We have been given the authority by God to act according to his word, will, and ways, and God's people need to continue to be empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to act. See, uh, filling with the Holy Spirit, empower, being empowered by the Holy Spirit is not some rogue boldness, but it's bridled action submitted to God's word, his will, and his ways. He, it, it's an empowerment by God, for God, for God's purposes. That's what it is. God's empowering us to do the things he has called us to. So if you feel as a Christian, man, I, God, I know you've called me to do this, but I struggle to act. What you need is empowerment that doesn't come from you. It's not come from some help, self, self-help book, not some just mere motivation. You need the Spirit of God to give you the power to obey the Word of God. That's what we need. This is what we need. And so, additionally, back in chapter, or in the same chapter, but, but last week we saw in, in verse 12, uh, God has already promised Gideon that he would be with him. He promised him his presence. Now Gideon being clothed by the, the Spirit is living in the reality of that promise. See, Jesus promises his disciples also that he will be with us always till the end of the age. How was that promise sealed? Through God the Holy Spirit. How do we know that God is with us always till the end of the age? Because Christian, through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit to live with you. The reminder that God will never leave you nor forsake you is God the Holy Spirit. So Gideon is experiencing this in real time, in real life. God said, I will never leave you. I will be with you when we go to battle. I'm with you. And then here we see that he's now being clothed. This is the ex- experiential reality of the thing that has already been promised to him by God, his presence and his power. See, this is what it's meant to be empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It means to live in the reality of Christ's promise that he will be with you. That gives you boldness, knowing that God is with you. He's not just watching you. He's not just helping you. He is actively, presently, powerfully with you. 
It's like uh, there, there, there's one theologian that describes this empowerment of the Holy Spirit like a, a father walking with his kids. He's with them. He is present with them, walking down the, down the street. But then, in a, in a moment of great joy and gladness, scoops down, picks up his son or daughter and holds them near. He has been with them the whole time. But the experiential presence of that son or daughter to be in the arms of their father is what it's like to be empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It's to be certain, to be experientially uh, aware that God is not just with us, but he has us. We are clothed, we are wrapped, we are, we are secured in God the Father's arms. It's great news. If you're a kid who's scared, ever been there? I have. It's, it's assuring it's comforting to be reminded that there's someone stronger, more powerful, who loves you, benevolent, caring, protector, who's there by your side. Not just by your side, but holds you fast in their arms. See, it's the, it is empowering. Uh, it's the empowering of the Holy Spirit that lets you know that God is, is by your side. And then, so for Gideon, he, he's now experiencing this reality that God is with him, not just uh, uh, that he has heard, but he's, exp- he's being clothed by God, the Holy Spirit. And what does he end up, he immediately does, he goes to action. He sounds the trumpet, he's like, guys, let's go. We got to go to battle, like God's with us. That's what we see here immediately, we see this. So for Gideon, now others are seeing this new man, this, this spirit-filled man, uh, who's uh, this spirit-empowered leadership, all of a sudden people are following him. Another marking uh, you see is when, when God empowers a man or a woman, people start following them. Start following them. It's the same thing we saw at Pentecost. The gospels preached th- through the, the, the once former cowardly Peter, now bold, courageous through the power of the Spirit, Peter. Now all of a sudden, 3,000 people are like, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Before that, they're like, we want to kill him. Now they're like, we all believe. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. This is what happens. So all these guys who've been laid dormant for seven years are now active. We're going to see later there's 32,000 of them. That's just like a, kind of a lot, you know, like zero to 32,000. You know, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think we've intellectualized Christianity uh, in, in, in our day. And we need renewal. We need empowerment of the Holy Spirit. See, in the day of Judges, they were walking according to the flesh, according to what they feel is right in their own eyes. Same is true in our day. We need not walk according to the ways of the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And I'd even make a case uh, that even if you have, quote-unquote, good theology, you may be prone to walk according to your own self, not according to the power of the Spirit. See, I, I look around at Christianity in our nation and just ask the question, where are God's people who yearn for God's presence, who beg for the Spirit's power, not just in preaching, but in the everyday life of the Christian? And so what I want to do now is uh, I want to describe five reasons why you may not be seeing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And before I do that, I want to say this. One of the ways I describe the, uh, uh, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in a particular area of, of one's life is, is the Holy Spirit's math is different than regular math. Regular math is 1 plus 1 equals 2. Holy Spirit's math is like 1 plus 1 equals 3. You know, it's like it, 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 you, can't, you can't quantify it. You can't, you can't take credit for it. When the Holy Spirit shows up, they, the Holy Spirit does something you cannot do. Everyone can do 1 plus 1 equals 2. And so... Uh, you guys with your giftings, your different giftings, uh, you know what's empowered by the Holy Spirit when it's just, you know, uniquely, like, po- empowered. You're like, when I, when I do this, this is like, I get a high return on this uh, investment of, of energy, strength, you know, effort, energy. You know, it's like th- God's showing up. See, this is uh, Pastor Jonathan. He's not here. This is him, like, counseling. Like, Jonathan will say the same things I say, and people will, be, will say, man, you're, you're really offending me. And he'll say it, and they're like, wow, I feel so loved. I'm like, bro, if you've ever been to a wedding that Pastor Jonathan has done, you will know this. Like, he's like, I'm not even going to talk. Y'all need to attend one just for the sake of, you're like, this guy, he has no jokes. But he has power. He does. He has power. He has power. And so uh, five reasons why you may not be seeing the Holy Spirit's power in your life. I said, this is a maybe. This is, I'm not, uh, you, 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 you search your own heart here. Number one, willful sinning. That's one way to uh, not see the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Willful sinning. I'll say this in both secret and in public. 
Everyone knows the public stuff, but even in secret, you're willfully disobeying God even in private. Galatians 5.16 says, But those who walk by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you find yourself gratifying the desires of the flesh, you're not walking in the Spirit. Well, how do we know uh, what, what, what the ways of the Spirit are? Well, they're bound and sealed in the book called the Bible. Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. You want to know the ways of the Spirit? Uh, read God's Word. Obey God's Word. Romans 8, 8 says that uh, uh, if you are disobedient to God, this is displeasing to God. Those who are led by the flesh, it is impossible to please God. And so if you are, find yourselves in, in, a, in a pattern of, of habitually, willfully rebelling against God, um, then you may not be seeing the Spirit's power in your life. What I'm not saying is that if you've sinned, I'm saying willful sinning in, 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 in irrepentance, not willing to repent, you will see a diminishing, a diminishing return on the Spirit's power in your life. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit blesses his wor- God's word will and ways. When you deviate from God's word will and ways, you deviate from the power of God the Holy Spirit. Number two, a lack of fighting sin. So if, if sin is willful sin uh, is willfully doing what God forbids, uh, th- there's a, th- the second action is to therefore actively fight against our sin. When we don't fight against our sin, Romans 8.13 says, you will die. You will die. You will not have power. He says uh, in Romans 8.13, he says, if, uh, uh, by the, uh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death the deeds of the body, you will live. How, how do you put the death the deeds of the body? By God, the Holy Spirit. So one way you know you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit is by the Spirit, you're putting to death the deeds of the body. You're walking according to God's word, will, and ways, and anything that would rise up against his word, will, and ways, you're putting it to death in public or private. Number three, you're not acquainted with the Holy Spirit. That may be offensive to some. Like, how do you do that? Well, Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. The reality for the Christian is that we are led by the Spirit. And in, in Acts 16, 6, we see Paul, he's actually prevented by God, the Holy Spirit, from going and doing ministry in Asia. How was he prevented? He knew, he was acquainted with God, the Holy Spirit, to prevent him. You're like, well, I don't know how that works. I know, because you're not acquainted with God, the Holy Spirit, perhaps. Like, well, no, I, I just, I don't believe in that. Well, that's a, that might be one of the ways you're not seeing, why you're not seeing the Spirit's power in your life. And so there's a, there's, a relation, there's a relationship the Christian must have with God the Holy Spirit. And if that sounds bizarre to you, I ask yourself, why? Why does that sound, why would that even sound bizarre to you? You're like, well, I, I have a relationship with Jesus and God the Father. Why don't you have the other member of the Trinity, the, the, the Godhead? A complete relationship with God is, is a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so we are to be taught to do, we ask him to teach us to do your will. Let your good spirit, God the Holy Spirit, lead us on level ground. We need to be acquainted with the promptings of God the Holy Spirit in our life. Number four, ruled by fear. And some of you, we're afraid of being led by the Spirit. And we have not been given a spirit of fear. According to 2 Timothy 1.7, we've been given the spirit of power, love, and self-control. I'm not saying that Christians are not to be, af- that can't be afraid. We're going to see with Gideon today that he's very much afraid. But what I'm saying is you must not let fear rule you. If fear is ruling you, that means the Holy Spirit isn't ruling you. Meaning this, if you are, if you are taking your orders from you, the fear in your heart, rather than God, the Holy Spirit, or his word, you are being ruled by your fear. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see when anyone is ruled by fear, it ever ends well. Abraham was really afraid, and guess what? He told, you know, the Egyptians that his wife, her na- her, she was uh, his sister. So then they were like, hey, we should take her as our wife. Not a good idea, guys. Never a good idea to be ruled by fear, amen? Like it's not, an, it, it, what we're going to see with Gideon is he's, he's afraid, but he steps forward with faith. He's still afraid, but he doesn't let his fear dictate his life. And so we are to be ruled by the Spirit. God gave us the Spirit, not of fear. So we're not to be ruled by the Spirit of fear. We're to be ruled by God, the Holy Spirit. If you find yourself you know, continually ruled by fear, 
it might be the reason why you're not seeing the Spirit's power in your life. Number five, not trusting God in prayer. This could have been two points, but I made it one. Uh, because prayer implies trust to God. Many Christians only trust God with what they think they have, quote, capacity for. I hear it all the time. People are like, I don't have capacity for that. Like, you think Gideon's going to have capacity for what God's called him to do here? You think Peter had capacity for what God called him to do? You think Jesus had capacity for what God had called him to do? Something like, yeah, no, he didn't. He relied on the person and work of God, the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible do God's people have capacity for what God has called them to. Perhaps the reason why you're not experiencing power of the Holy Spirit is because you only do the things, you only, like, you only say yes to God when it's in your quote-unquote capacity. And see, how does this connect with prayer? Because prayer says, I entrust myself to God. I trust myself to you, God, no matter what. Prayer trusts in God, not in self, not in our own capacity. Romans 8, 26 through 28 tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us when we are weak. When we don't know how to pray, he actually intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. See, the will of God is often beyond our human capacity. Holy Spirit knows that. So he's like praying for us. He's like, those guys need to be reminded that God has called them to do something that they cannot do. And they need, they, need a, they need power to do that. They must trust God in prayer. It means that when we see that our capacity ha- has reached its cap and God's calling us to still move forward, we, don't, we run to the Lord God in prayer. See, what prayer does is prayer actually connects us with the will of God. See, prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our mind. It changes us. It unites us. It empowers us. It syncs us up. It syncs the Christian up with the will of God. That's what prayer does. A Christian uh, must be a man or a woman who is uh, praying, seeking their God. Having a, this is how relationships work. You actually have to have a, a communication. Our way of communicating with God is through prayer. A great pastor and, and, and uh, preacher, Leonard Ravenhill, said this, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who's not praying is playing, and the people who are not praying are straying. If you find yourself straying from God's word, will, ways, the Spirit's power, and your life is not marked with prayer, it may be why you're not experiencing the, pa- the, the, the power you, you desire in your life. See, a Christian who does not pray is forsaking the very thing that God has given them, the instrument God has given them, the, 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 the lifeline God has given them to talk to the one who is all-powerful and the only one who could help. You, it, it, prayer is sending out the true, like, SOS, save, like, I, we need your help, God. You must intervene. If you don't, we cannot proceed forward. And so a Christian who is not praying, you're just like playing dress-up Christianity. You're just like acting like you're a Christian. The power comes through prayer. If you are not praying, you are disconnected from the source of life, God himself. Your weapon, God's word, your weapon is the Bible. Your connection to God is prayer. That's what it is. This is your weapon. Your connection is prayer. Your relationship with God. And oftentimes the thing we need, the thing we need to be encouraged to continue to stay near God to, to seek the face of God, to labor with God in prayer, is the very thing we're going to find next that Gideon needs. It's this need for assurance, to be reminded that God is with us. Half the time, we don't pray because we forget that God is present. He's with us. Like, he's, he's, not, he, he's carrying us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to help us. He's active and he's involved. So Gideon... Though he's clothed by God the Holy Spirit. I want us to see this. He's clothed by the Spirit. He's empowered by the Spirit. He acts. Now we see him start to tremble with fear. He says this. When Gideon, verse 36, when, when Gideon said, then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Interesting phrase, right? If you will do what you have said. 
if you'll do what you have said. Uh, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew out from the fleece to fill a whole bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on the ground let there be dew. And God, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. What we see here with Gideon right now is though he's empowered by God the Holy Spirit, he still struggles with assurance. You ever been there? Like, I know, love, and trust Jesus. I've had moments of power. I've been, I've moments of, 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 you know, confidence in God and his word. And then like the next day or the next hour, you're like, this is hard. I don't even know, is God with me? Like, did he really say this? I'm struggling. I'm struggling here. See, some people want to point out, uh, or some people think that living life by the Holy Spirit is some sort of easy life, full, lacking struggle. I want us to see here for a moment that this is, what, this is what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. It's moments of great boldness, then moments of great timidity. It's moments of, of, of trust and confidence. And the next moment, God, I need you to show up again. I need you to remind me of what's true. Like, I'm losing my mind uh, today. I'm struggling to trust your promises. I need you, God, the Holy Spirit, to remind me of what's true. This is what walking by the Spirit looks like for sinful man, for sinful woman. It's constantly going back to God, asking in our struggle, in our temptation, in our fight for what is real, to grab a hold of the truth that God is with us and that he has called us and he has empowered us and he's equipped us, but we need reminder of that. Day by day, moment by moment. So the struggle here, the temptation here, the fight we see with Gideon is a reminder to us Christians that the fight is real. See, the spiritual fight, we're told throughout the scripture, is compared to wrestling or a combat sport. Hand-to-hand combat sport. If you've ever done any sort of hand-to-hand combat, wrestling, grappling of any sort, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. If you're not trained for that, it's even more exhausting you even see it with high school kids who get into a fight at school. Those things last like a few minutes because no one has the energy and endurance to go longer than 60 seconds. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And guess what? That's how the Bible describes Christianity. Exhausting. This is why we need help. This is why we need a helper. We need God, the Holy Spirit. We need another power that does not come from us. And so... What we see here with Gideon is not that he's just merely out of step, perhaps, with the Holy Spirit in this moment. We see him wrestling with the truth of his calling by God. And the Spirit is still clothed him. He is still with him. He has not forsaken him. Christian, if you know, love, and trust Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But you might go through times of struggling, doubt, fear, and even need for assurance to be reminded that God is with you. We see with Gideon. God is with him. But he's like, are you sure? I'm going to lay out this fleece twice. See, reality has set in for Gideon. He's set in. There's been seven years of oppression. He's been in hiding. God's people are in hiding. He's been called by God, and it's great because God is there. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. Let's go. Let's go make war against the Midianites. Now the time has come to actually go to battle. He's like, I don't know. God, if you will save us like you said, it's just an interesting statement. It's like, if you will do the thing you said, and if you feel, feel like, man, this is kind of like, bro, he said it, so believe it. Well, how many times have you read a verse and you're like, I need to be reminded of that one. Like, if you said it, I mean, I know you said it. I'm reading it. Like, can you do this one, God? I'm struggling to believe you can. Like, I know you can. How many of you, this is your prayer life. You're like, I know you can, but like, I don't know that you can. Like, what am I? Am I just confused here? That's how you feel. 
I want us to see this is, this is probably more normal to the Christian experience. This is Gideon here. This is Gideon here. He's struggling to trust God. Can you do, God, what you said you would do? The answer is obviously yes. But still yet, he doubts. And so what we see here is that even great leaders, great leaders from time to time are perplexed by fear and insecurity. And actually probably more than you think. The question is not, though, whether you fear or struggle with insecurity, whether you're in any sphere. If, if any of you struggle with fear or insecurity at any level, if the, the, the question is not whether you're going to struggle with fear or insecurity. The question is, where will you turn? Where will you turn? Where does Gideon turn? He turns to the Lord. He doesn't go, I'm so scared. Actually, God, I know what your word says. I'm struggling to believe it. So, and I'm ashamed. This is you, right? This is probably you and I. We're so ashamed because we know what God's word says. We know what it says. We know he has said it. We know he's good on his promises. We've actually seen his promises. We know he is he's able to do what he said he would do. And we've only seen him always do what he said he's going to do. We're so confident, actually. But yet we doubt and we're in fear. And so what we do, we see God's word and we see that he is good to do what he says he's going to do. And because we don't believe that in, in that moment, we, we feel shame. And so we turn from God. We're like, I can't even pray. I can't even run to him. I can't even, I don't even want to go to a community group. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to sing songs because I doubt what I know is true. What does Gideon do? He's like, I don't know. I'm going back to God. I'm struggling here. And, and a lot of commentators and preachers like give Gideon a hard time about this quote-unquote test that he has with God, testing God, like you should never test God. Yeah, but you should also pray to God. That's what we see Gideon do. See, if your options are test God or like not and forsake God, you know, you run to God. You run to him. See, God can handle your, your uh, any sort of uh, imperfect crying out to him. And that's what we see with Gideon. He's imperfectly crying out to God for assurance. He should give us great hope. Like you shouldn't have this like, I got to approach God. Oh man, I know that prayer I just said is not biblical. God must, I, I got to stop now and repent of my prayer. Like listen, just cry out to God. See the Holy Spirit will, this is the, this is the, the beauty of it. He fixes it by the time it gets to God. He does. Like, you pray, and he changes it. He intercedes on your behalf with words that you don't even have and words that you don't even know. He knows the need, your needs. He knows the will of God. Christian, cry out to the Lord. When you are struggling and perplexed by fear, insecurity, anxiety, don't run from God. Run to God. Run to God. Boldly cry out to God. Boldly pronounce your fears, your struggles, your insecurities. God can, even, your, even the things you're mad about God, to God at, he can handle it. If you want to know how to have a, an increase your prayer life, like what kind of prayer should I pray? Read the Psalms. Sometimes they're like, smash that guy's head in with rocks. And other times it's like, God, you're so beautiful. You know, you taste like honey and it's great. And I love being in your presence. And the next verse it's like, and kill my enemies. Like, I hate that guy and I hope you hate him too. Like, that's like the prayer life of the, 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 the psalmist. You're like, that guy, you read the Psalms, you're like, this guy sounds a little crazy. If your prayer life isn't sounding a little crazy, you might not be honest in your prayers. Just be, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Maybe that's why you don't journal, because you're like, I don't want to be, you know, a psalm. Uh, don't worry, you won't. Uh, God's response, however, to Gideon is awesome. It's awesome. In, in this, you, you don't see him scold him at all. You don't see him scolding him or lecturing him. He tenderly, patiently answers Gideon's request. Hey, buddy, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, he's like, ah, don't be angry at me, God. Can I get one more test? He's like, yeah. See, God, though Gideon's response was likely an insult, or likely, it is an insult to God. God, uh, if you will do what you say you're going to do. Like, yeah, buddy, who do you think I am? Like, it's an insult to him. Like, do you, are you really powerful enough, God? Can you really do this? Like, if you are, like, you know, I need you to Make the towel wet and dry. Like, that's, what I, that's how I'm going to know. Not like, show me out on the battlefield. It's like, just do this one, God. What, I, what, what we see here is God is not, he, he's patient with him. What Gideon is, is requesting of God is actually an insult to a holy God. 
But God sees Gideon, his servant, clothed by his spirit. And this is what happens, Christian, when you, are, when you know, love, and trust Jesus. You've been cleansed of your sins, forgiven of your sins. You've been given God the Holy Spirit. The way God looks upon you as a child of God, cleansed, forgiven, righteous, redeemed. So even though you may sound foolish, maybe you approach God in an insulting way. He looks upon you through the lens of, of, of his salvation, through the person and work of Jesus. His blood cleanses you of all your unrighteousness, and he has grace towards you like he does Gideon, who's struggling. He sees him struggling, and he responds with mercy and grace. Grace is that he gives him something that he does not deserve. Mercy, meaning he withholds wrath from Gideon that he deserves for not distrusting him. Mercy and grace are combined here. He, he responds to Gideon. He answers him. I don't think many Christians are as merciful and gracious towards Gideon as, as, as well, definitely we aren't toward, as God is. But just when we look at this, this is awesome. God's not dealing with Gideon according to his sin. Christian, if Jesus has died in your place for your sin, God does not deal with you any longer according to your sin. He has dealt with you according to your sin with the, with, with, with the righteous judgment and wrath being poured out on Christ the Son on the cross. He's dealt with it. Done. It's over. So for Gideon, not trusting God the first time, you and I not trusting God's word the first time, yeah, it's a sin, it's, but it's a sin that Jesus already died for. He's already risen victorious for. So let's look at how God deals with Gideon here. There's more mercy and grace here with, with God towards Gideon than there is sin in him. Just like you, there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in you. God looks upon you in the same way. So what we should see Gideon here is he's taking the posture like the man in, in Mark uh, 9.24. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, God, I know that you can do this, but I need help to believe it. God, I see you in your word. I know you're good on your promises, but help me, help me really believe them. Like I believed them yesterday, but I'm struggling today. Last night I believed them, but I no longer in the morning I don't believe them. I struggle. If you, if you struggle here and you this need for assurance, I want us to see this, that God granted it twice to Gideon. And the New Testament actually tells us that it's the, it's the Holy Spirit is the one who grants assurance to God's people. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this. For you, Christian, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. See, God, the Holy Spirit, grants us the assurance and the certainty that we are children of God of God. He is with us. He won't leave us. He is near us. And this is what Gideon is, needs to be reminded. By the way, he's been like a Christian for like two days here. <laughs> but for us, maybe we'll walk with Jesus a little bit longer. Don't look at Gideon's immaturity and think that you're supposed to be so far advanced. Follow his path. Run to, run to the Lord God for assurance. Run to him. And what the Holy Spirit does is he grants assurance to Gideon. But the Holy Spirit wants to grant assurance to you that God is with you and that you are who he says you are. Who does God say we are? We're children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Co-heirs with Christ. This is awesome. And that should give us endurance to suffer with him. Because the good news is we're going to be glorified with him. This is great news for God's people. See, assurance is often accompanied by boldness. If you don't feel that you're bold, you need to be assured. Once you are assured, you will naturally proceed forward with boldness. Christians, the boldness comes from God, the Holy Spirit, not just some self-help, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need to be reminded of whose you are. Jesus owns you. And therefore, you can proceed forward with his power, with his presence. And a confidence that you are one of the king's kids. It's awesome. So we need to be reminded of that. Next, what we see is Gideon's 300 men. This is awesome. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Like, I want someone to make a movie about it. So if you're a Christian and you, you know, make movies, this is what we should do. We have two movies out there of 300, and they lose. 
Gideon doesn't with 300 men. Let's go. Uh, then uh, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon. That's the name. Remember, he got renamed to uh, Gideon contends with Baal. Like, that's what his name means now. And all the people who were, were with him rose early. So they got up early and they encamped beside the spring of Herod. Um, and camped in, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people with, with you are too many. Give uh, to, for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. This is awesome. They're, they went from, like, no one wanting to follow God, now there's too many. And, and the reason why there's too many, he's like, y'all are so strong in number that if y'all win this battle and you're going to, you're going to think that you did it and not me. So uh, God always gets the glory. Verse 3, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of them returned. That's a bummer. Like, ready for war. Anyone scared? Anyone, like, not want to do this? Count those numbers. 22,000, sir. 22,000? Yep. 22,000 don't want to fight. All right, send them home. Now we're down to 10,000 remained. Like, what a bummer. you got to be thinking this, Gideon's like, okay, God, that's weird. Uh, and the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Uh, take them down to the water, and I will test them uh, for, for you there. Anyone who says uh, to you, um, or sorry, any one of them whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you, and the one whom, any one who say it, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. So God's going to discern who's going to go with him. And he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, uh, you shall set him by himself. They're weird. Uh, likewise, let everyone who kneels down to drink, and the num- you want to set those guys by themselves. And the number who, la- who lapped, putting their head, uh, your hands in their mouth, was 300 men. And the rest of the people knelt down to drink water, likely to look up while they're drinking you know, see if the enemy's attacking. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 who lapped, I will save you uh, and give Midian into your hands and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and, they, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was, was below him in the valley. So we see here, here we go from 20, 32,000 down to, to 10,000. The first 22,000 go because they're, they're, they're full of fear and they're trembling. The next 10,000, uh, God says, I'm, we're going to discern between these people. Uh, we're going to look, anyone who laps, eat, drinks like a dog, put them over to the side. And likely when you first read this, you're like, okay, the dog drinkers are going to be, they're going to be kicked out because, you know, they should be. Why? Because when they're drinking their heads down, they're not paying attention to what's going on around them. So it's kind of confusing this test. What it looks like is God, at first you think God's going to pick the, the more qualified people, uh, but really God tends to pick the least qualified people. He does. Uh, and what a, the larger number uh, squats down, drinks, they're, they're looking ahead, they're, they're making sure that you know, no enemy's coming. Then you have 3,000 3, people who, or 300 people who are uh, you know, heads down. They're not paying attention. And what God does here is he takes the, the 300 and says, I'm going to win with them. I'm going to win with them. It's going to be much harder to win uh, with 300 people, right, than 32,000 people, correct? Why do, you, why do we all say that? We all say correct. Because we're thinking according to the flesh. It's not going to be any harder for God, right? You're like, well, I'm in a really bad situation. It's harder than it was. For you, not for God. If there was 40 million people or one person with God, it's not any harder or, or, or easier. Everything is, is equal with God. He is the, 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 the factor that changes everything. And so what we need to grab hold of as Christians is we need to be stop we need to be stop we, we need to stop being so concerned with the magnitude of our circumstances that we miss the magnitude of our God. See God says, "Hey, I know humans. They they're going to think if they have 32,000 people, they win this, it was them. Would it have been them giving the victory? No. Why? Because God already said, "I'm going to give you I'm going to give Midian into your hand." But because y'all are so arrogant and proud and hard-hearted, and don't give me the glory, I'm going to whittle the army down to 300 people so that you know I did this. I was going to do it with 32,000. 
I can do it with big numbers. I can do it with small numbers. I can do it with no numbers. I can just take, as we've seen before uh, with, with, with Sisera, I can just drown people with water. I can make the stars fight against me, for me. I can do, this is what God is saying. We need to grab a hold of this, Christians, that our, the magnitude of our circumstances are nothing compared to the magnitude of our God. So if you feel like, man, we're, we've been whittled down to 300 and we were at 32,000, who cares if God is by your side? This is what it means to be uh, filled with the Spirit, to be reminded of that reality. When Peter stood up and preached, there were zero Christians. Maybe, maybe the, 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 we could say the 120 in the, in the uh, upper room. After he preached, 3,000 got saved. And it kept growing every single day. Christian, concern yourself with the God of the Bible. Be more concerned about him than your circumstances. Take, yes, take your circumstances to him. But concern yourself with knowing who he is. Know him. Love him. Delight in him. Delight in his word. Be a, well acquainted with what, who he is, what he has done, and what he said he will always do. Know his promises. Cling to him. Trust him. That's where the power is at. It's in the king. And God's ways may seem harder, but they're always better. See, we're told the scriptures tell us that his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. As the earth is from the the sky, the heavens, so his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. The magnitude of his thinking surpasses ours. The magnitude of his comprehension eclipses our, our difficulty to understand. Fix your eyes on the king. See, what emphasizes this great reality, this, 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 this all-encompassing glory of God, bring, whittle it down to the, the 300 so that God's glory is manifest and mighty. What, what, what emphasizes this reality the most is Christ on the cross. One man for many sins. One man. There was no man in human history that could atone for sin. God used one man. The God-man himself, Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. Our debt is too great. Our sin is too large. We were trapped. We were enslaved. We, our only hope was that God would step in and rescue us. And what, this is what he did. He stepped in and rescued us. Like he said he would. When did he say it? Back in Genesis. The whole Bible, he's been saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. This one 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 I'm going to do. And, and the whole Bible, guys, feel like, are you going to do this? Oh, you're delaying. We're waiting. God, and it was our day, the same thing. Like, does God really love us? Does God really care for us? Why do all these bad things happen? We just keep going through the same cycle. God's like, I keep doing what I've said I would do, and I will always do. Jesus gave a decisive victor- the victorious blow through, his, through his, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so many of us are like Gideon still, though. We look at, we read God's word. If you will do what you said you will do, God, show me a sign. Let's be honest, that's where we're at, many. This could be in your job. This could be in your life, your personal life. It could be in your family. You're like, God, like, like whatever it is, you name it. Uh, you, you look at the scriptures and you say, look here, God, like, uh, uh, I see this promise here. I'm struggling to believe it. I I, I need a sign to know if you will do what you say you're going to do. Let's be honest. Like, that's where, where many of you are. That's where we are. And some, some hyper-religious hypocrites will say, like, you shouldn't need a sign from God. Yeah, I know. We shouldn't need one. But, you know, we're sinners. Humans are, are, are prone to doubt, prone to wonder, prone to discouragement, prone to dismay. We're like Gideon. We're prone to just go, hey, God, I, I don't know. I trust you, but I don't. Help me trust you. If that is you. And, or should I say, in the days that you are like Gideon in need of a sign, remember how gracious God was to Gideon, and he's gracious to you, and let's remember the greatest sign that God has given all, the cross and the grave. See, the cross is where Jesus takes on the sin of the world. Like it is, it's now become a sign to you. We're told Jesus actually tells uh, uh, a group of people in the New Testament that they don't get a sign. The only sign they got was Jonah being in the belly of the well for three days, just like the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and be raised out of the grave. Our sign is that Jesus has died in your place for your sins. How do you know that Jesus can handle whatever other promises there in the Scripture? Because he's died in your place for your sins as he promised he would. 
and he didn't stay dead. The cross is a symbol, uh, is a sign, but the grave is, is also a sign. The grave is empty. The tomb is empty. It's a reminder that Jesus' promises are true. His check cleared. It's, it, it, it works. It's real. It's palatable. It's tangible. So when you're struggling in your faith and you wonder if God can do what he said he will do in the scriptures, examine the cross of Christ. See the Father's love towards you, that even when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And if he can take care of your sin problem, what other problems can he take care of? All of your problems. More than that, if we can trust the fact that God said he would do what he said he would do through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then that means every other promise in the scripture is yes and amen for the Christian. All of them. You're like, well, when do I get it? Can I get an advance on it? Maybe not. On the, you may not get the yes today, but every promise is a yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our sign. Our sign is the empty tomb. Our sign is the cross of Christ. Our sign is remembering what Christ has done for us, that he is our banner, he is our hope, he is our good God, he is our king. This is why, church, we take communion every single Sunday as a sign and seal of our redemption. If you want to be reminded of the promises of God and that God is good on every promise that he has, show up every Sunday, sing songs of praise and adoration, hear the word of God, submit to it, and walk to the table boldly and confidently and take of the bread and eat of the cup, proclaiming the death of our risen Lord Jesus. And be reminded that if he can handle your sin problem, he can handle all your problems. If he can cash the check on, on, the, on the grave, he can cash the check on every other promises, that every other promise made in the scripture. That's our sign. That's our remembrance. The cross of Christ, the empty tomb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross and the grave. We thank you that you, Jesus, have atoned for our sins on the cross. We thank you that you were placed in the grave, and we praise your name that you are no longer there. The sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. You are our only hope. And may we remember that. May we proclaim that. May we find rest in that. May we be emboldened by that. As we go to the table today, Holy Spirit, fill us. Empower us, remind us, equip us, help us to know you are present. Give us uh, a tactile, um, you've given us a tactile reality of that through the physically eating the bread, physically drinking the cup, physically being reminded today that you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. May we eat and drink with joy and gladness and leave here today empowered by you, God, the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray.